bet the game. Sounds crazy, Frank. <laughs> Maybe just crazy enough to work. Sports betting with an Oregon lean. Powered by Sports Radio 750, The Game, Portland's most listened to sports station. You probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. Now, here are your hosts, Judah Newby and Zach Schlegel. It's getting real now. Oh, yeah, it's getting real, <laughs> Judah. It's getting real in the fail. Almost Thanksgiving, holidays right around the corner. It's getting real because money's being made because, you know, we got to buy baby new shoes. Yeah, Christmas is coming up. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's also getting real because we're coming down the home stretch of who is going to make the college football playoff. Who is going to make the NFL playoffs? You know, they always say the NFL season doesn't start until after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. Just about a week out, and there are some big-time matchups going on with some fascinating spreads, and we're about to get to all of it. He is Zach Schlegel. I'm Judah Newby. This is Bet the Game, 750 the Game and 750thegame.com. Zach, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Judah. It's it's a beautiful week here in Portland. It's sunny. It's clear. It's a little cold this morning, I will say. A little nippy. I, I woke up this morning, and it felt probably like 15 degrees colder than yesterday. There was frost on my window, but that's how you know it's winter in Portland, Oregon. Now, they say that, uh, you know, Jared Goff, he's from the area that you're from, right? Novato? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the, those NorCal boys, you know, you put them out into cold weather, they don't <laughs> perform as well. But that's not the case with you, is it? No, yeah. And it's and there's a big difference between NorCal and SoCal boys, too, because I was talking to my buddy down in Los Angeles and telling him, man, it's cold up here in Portland today. And he's like, oh, well, back to 80s down here in L.A. We got our annual rain yesterday <laughs> and back to 80s. And in fact, I'm going to hit the beach in December. That's, cool, man. Dude, come on, man. <laughs> That's not right. No, come on. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, L.A. weather. I heard, Yeah, I heard it almost got to 90 the other day. That's crazy Jeez. for this time of year. All right, we got big games. We've got Oregon ASU. Mm-hmm. Trap potential? We'll see. We'll get Zach's thoughts on that. Oregon State's going for a bowl game, people. The over-under was two and a half on the win total to Let's enter go. the year. We've got two games to try to make a bowl. It's awesome for them. We'll talk about that game on the Palouse. And big games in the top 25, most notably what's going on in the horseshoe, Penn State, Ohio State, plus NFL best bets and more. Zach, let's start with Tempe. Oregon, they've they've got the momentum right now. I mean, what are they, 9-1 and one now? Nine straight wins since the loss to Auburn. This hasn't happened in some time for Oregon football. And all of a sudden, the goal is in sight. The, the potential of making the college football playoff is a real potential. And it's only increasing with each passing week and each passing victory. Last week, they, you know, won by a a lot, a fair margin over Arizona, but it wasn't necessarily elite dominance. There were missed opportunities in the 34 to 6 win. Now, back to the desert they go. A place they haven't, they didn't win when they went under Willie Taggart in 2017. A place where, you know, when they played Arizona last year, they got trashed. 14-point favorites now against Herm Edwards, Jaden Daniels, and the Sun Devils. I know the line opened at 16. Money on the Devils down to 14. And uh, the total on this game resting around 52 and a half. What do you make of the spot, first of all, for Oregon going into this game? People calling it a trap game. Do you agree? Yeah, I I think for good reason you call it a trap game. It's a little sketchy to me, Judah, because we're going to the state of Arizona 
And looking back, Oregon in their last four games in the state of Arizona, we're going to go back to 2013. They were 20-point favorites against Arizona, U of A. They lost by 26. I remember that was a bad one. In 2015, they played ASU as a two-point dog, and that was that overtime game that they won by six and controversial call there in the back of the end zone with the toe of Braylon Addison, right? Yeah, the Vernon Adams game, right? That's incredible. That was... I think it was a Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there I was, it was some crazy sports action that night. Yeah, that was a high scoring affair. So, and that was 2015. You go to 2017. They played Arizona State as 15 point favorites, lost by two. And prior to that game, Oregon had beaten Arizona State 10 times in a row. They were dominating the series. They snuck by in that 2015 matchup. Uh, much like they snuck by in that uh, Vernon Adams game against Washington, I think that same year, and they like, still had Washington's number and then finally lost to them. So um, Arizona State, they lost to them in 2017 there, and then in 2018 they lost to Arizona as eight-point favorites. They lost by 29. That was last year. That was brutal. Right after the game against Washington State, we thought, oh, maybe we'll bounce back from this one. So long story short, Oregon in the state of Arizona, has not. it's not been good to them. Um, kind of been their little kryptonite, right? And dating back to 2014, Arizona State has been a double-digit underdog 11 times. The Sun Devils have won six of those games outright, and they're 9-2 and two against the spread. So I look at those, those trends. I look at the numbers there. I look at where the money is coming in, moving Arizona State from 16 to 14. And yeah, there's reason to be concerned here. Uh, no Micah Pittman for the Ducks, too. That's that's concerning. But Juwan Johnson has been huge for us. So I think, you know, as long as Juwan Johnson continues to do what he's been doing, we're going to be okay there. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. The Ducks on the ground, they're going to need to be successful on the ground here. Arizona State has the third best rushing defense in the Pac-12. So if Oregon can get the ground game going, again, that's just going to make things easier uh, overall for their offense, for Justin Herbert to throw it down the field. Uh, we look at what Oregon State did to Arizona State. Jake Luton put up four touchdowns, zero picks. They put up almost 400 yards of total offense against Arizona State. So Herbert should be able to theoretically have similar success in this game. Last week, I told you I was going with the team total for Oregon. I thought they'd score more points. I was at the game. and. Oh, yeah. You know, it was it was exciting from the get go, right? Second play of the game, big touchdown to Johnny Johnson, got you know electrified the crowd. You're probably thinking at that point, man, oh, this yeah. is easy money. I'm thinking that was easy money at that point, but the offense kind of sputtered. I mean, I think Oregon comes into this game and they're a little disappointed with what they did on offense last game. They punted four times, they missed a chip shot field goal, they got intercepted in the red zone. So, I just I cannot lay the points in this game with the Ducks. I I believe they're going to win, but this, to answer your question, yes, this is a very trappy situation based on history, based on the numbers, based on the trends, based on where the money is coming in currently. So I would have to lean the Sun Devils plus 14, but of course, I'm pulling for my Ducks to win this game. I'll probably stay away from it personally, but if I'm leaning, I'm going Arizona State plus the two touchdowns. It'll be a 4.30 kickoff on ABC, the nationally televised Saturday night football affair between Herm Edwards and Mario Cristobal. To the Palouse we go. Oregon State sitting at five wins after their win over Arizona State in Corvallis, their first home conference win of the season. And uh, they've been good on the road, obviously, this year with the road wins. We've already talked about that. Happened at UCLA, at Cal, and at Arizona. 
Now the Beavers on the Palouse to take on Washington State. I believe this line sitting right around 11 or 11 and a half in some places, but it opened 15 and a half for Wazoo with a total of 75. It's now down to 10 and a half for the Cougs in most spots with a total up a tick to 76 and a half. Can the Beavers not only cover, but possibly win this game outright to get to bowl eligibility before the Civil War? I'm sure that's what their objective is going into Mm. Pullman. Yeah, Oregon State, once again, so impressive this season. They played above expectations. Vegas gave them two and a half wins. Now they're sitting there at five. They're one game away from a bowl game. I mean, this is this is spectacular uh, for the Oregon Beavers this season. Amazing improvement, and I did not expect this kind of improvement uh, this early in the Jonathan Smith era. Uh, Oregon State this season, 4-3 and three in Pac-12 play. They're 5-5 five and five overall, second in the Pac-12 North, right behind the Ducks. Wow. Fortunately, they can't win the North. Can you, Matt, can <laughs> but, you believe we can say that on yeah, November 22nd? I cannot. I, mean, I really cannot. I mean, that's, it's, I mean, but based on what I've seen, I do believe it, but but prior to the season. No way. No way. Yeah. Oh, After man. the Hawaii game? No way. Like, that's what I thought was going to make or break their win total. And the funny thing, we said it before, you could tell a story of how Oregon State could have beaten Hawaii, right? They lost by three. Yep. Some mistakes made in that game. Without they lo- a doubt. Oh, yeah. Many mistakes made in that one. Uh, they, they lost to Stanford by three. You know, they were down early in that game, came back. They could have won that game. So you could be telling a story. Oregon State could be 7-3 and three right now. I mean, geez, this team, this is the most conference wins we've seen from the Beavers since the 2013 season, which was their last winning season. Wow. So the Beavers not only have a chance to get to a bowl game, they have a chance to have a winning season. I mean, look at Jake Luton this season, 23 touchdowns, just two picks on the year. Ooh. And in this matchup, Specifically, there's been a lot of points uh, between these two teams when they face off. 66 is the least amount of points scored during the last six meetings between these two. 66 is the least. I mean, these games have gone into the 70s. Four of the last six games have seen 75 points or more. And we're seeing this total. It opened up at 75, and now it's up to 76 and a half. So people agree. A lot of points in this one. ASU has won five of the last six meetings. Isaiah Hodgins, Belenikoff Award finalist. Jeez, man, 73 receptions, 1,000 yards, 13 touchdowns. The guy is unbelievable. He deserves it. On the other side, we got Anthony Gordon leading the nation in passing. 400-plus yards in eight of his 10 games this season. We know he's going to attempt 50-plus passes in this game. The bad news, Oregon State is not very good at defending the pass. The Beavers allow opposing quarterbacks to average a 148 quarterback rating, and they've only... They've only had five picks all year, so their defense is not really taking the ball away in the air or through the air, excuse me. But I'm looking at this, Judah, and the early money came in on the Beavs. They moved that line five points. I mean, it opened up at, what, 15 and a half. Now the Beavers are just 10 and a half point underdogs. I still like them, Judah. I like the Beavers plus 10 and a half. I think there's points in this game. And I I like Oregon State team total over 30 and a half as well. And I'm going to throw in a little bonus play for you, Judah, because I think this game is closer than 10 and a half. And I think this is the type of game where we might see overtime. And guess what? If you want to bet a little overtime, that's 10 to 1 odds right there. That's a little bonus play. That it gets to overtime? Yep. Yep. Boy, how about that, B fans? <laughs> From the Z's mouth himself, he's saying they're going to cover and have a close game to get to OT. I like it. 
I yep. like it. I think a little magic's in store yep. up on the Palouse. All right, moving on. Big games in the top 25 as well, including in the Horseshoe in Columbus. You got Penn State. You got Ohio State. Now, Penn State, of course, having expectations for their season definitely um, modified after losing at Minnesota. We saw some limitations out of the freshman quarterback, Sean Clifford, which I'm sure you'll get to here in a moment, Zach. But do they have spoiler potential against Ohio State, a team that is laying 18 big ones at home, 18 and a half in some places, with a total resting at 57 and a half. Penn State at the Buckeyes. Yeah, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it for Penn State, I'll be honest. And when you look at this line, I think it speaks for itself. It opened up at 17. Money's come in, come in on the Buckeyes, moving that line all the way to 18 and a half now. Total sitting at 58, ticked up just a little bit there. But when you look at the last three meetings, the last two have been decided by one point. Ohio State winning both those games. Penn State won by three in 2016. Right. So the last three meetings, I mean, it has been down to the wire. And I believe the last two wins for Ohio State, it's been a situation where Penn State has had a good lead and they, they kind of blew it. Uh, we saw that last year in particular and, and I guess the year before. But the good news for Ohio State here is Chase Young returns at the perfect time. I mean, they didn't need him the last couple of games. He comes in here. He's going to be a factor, as he has been all year round. And he's still one of those guys that is you know, technically in the Heisman conversation. I mean, maybe he comes out and has a crazy game. He goes to the Big Ten Championship and has a really, really big game there. And you know, maybe we see the first Heisman winner in a long time. But you mentioned Sean Clifford. He had been good up until the last few performances. Uh, the last couple games here against Minnesota and against Indiana, 50% completion percentage mm. average between the two games. Only two touchdowns, three interceptions. Prior to those two games, he threw for 20 touchdowns and only three picks. Uh, 60% completion average or above. So Clifford has kind of dropped a little bit here while on the other side of things, Justin Fields continues his Heisman campaign. Uh, he's gone for 31 touchdown passes this year, only one interception. And yeah, you can talk about Ohio State's schedule not being the most competitive, but at the end of the day, when you're performing at that high of a level like Justin Fields is in that Ohio State offense, I mean, it definitely says something. And this is not a pushover conference. This isn't the ACC, Judah, right? <laughs> no, it <laughs> but, ain't. But I'm looking at you. <laughs> looking at you. Ball. <laughs> They've got a problem on their hands. They do. The ACC. They got a problem, and uh, and the Big 12 also has a problem this year in terms of the college football playoff, and we'll get to that. But Ohio State, 8-2 and two against the spread this season. They've been one of the best teams against the number. They're 3-0 and oh against the spread in Big 10 home games so far this season, so another reason why I do like the Buckeyes in this game. This is the first time all season that Penn State's been an underdog, and now they're just 18.5-point underdogs. Crazy. Wild, and it's wow. a top-10 matchup. So I can understand, you know, you as Joe Public, you're looking at this line and you're going, what is going on here? Penn State getting 18 and a half points. I mean, they're a top 10 team, right? And, you know, we know Penn State's uh, performed pretty well all season long. And I think a lot of people are going to want to take that number with Penn State. But I just feel like the smart way to go about it is to lay the number with Ohio State. I don't know if I have the cojones because I think... Just, you know, based on recent history, at Penn State in this situation, I mean, look, they, they have a situation where if they actually do knock off Ohio State, 
they might be jumping into that top four. All of a sudden, Penn State is right back into that college football playoff conversation. Bad news for them. We mentioned off-air K.J. Hamler. His status is uncertain. He's been dealing with a head-neck injury, right? Uh, He's their number one slot receiver. He's their feature punt returner and kickoff returner. So when you don't have a guy like that, you don't have a game-breaker, some guy who can take the top off of the defense, that's going to hurt you, and that's only going to hurt uh, a guy like Sean Clifford, who, again, has been struggling as of late. Ohio State leads the nation in scoring offense, 51.5 points per game, and scoring defense. They allow less than 10 points per game this season. K.J. Dobbins, he's going to have a test in this game. Uh, Penn State, we know they have a pretty good rushing defense, but Dobbins, he's been averaging 7 a carry. Seven yards a carry. I mean, he's so good with the ball. He is so good. And if we didn't have all these other great players in college football this year, I mean, he might be the Heisman leader so far at this point. Um, So, I mean, I think once I think once Ohio State gets the ground game going, if they are able to successfully do that early in the game against Penn State, again, that's going to open up things for fields. And that becomes a very, very scary offense. Once you kind of get the defense off balance, Ohio State has so many weapons and we know what they can do on defense with Chase Young, create turnovers, create more possession opportunities for that offense to score. And I believe they're going to put up points in this game. They haven't lost a home conference game since 2015. So that's 17 straight home conference games that they've won by an average of 30 points per game, Judah. Oh, my. Holy cow. So, I mean, people don't want to go to the shoe and play Ohio State at home. They've been absolutely dominant. Interesting fact here. Penn State and Ohio State have been stellar in the first quarter so far this season. Ohio State is outscoring opponents 115 to 18, while Penn State is outscoring opponents 110 to 31. So it'll be interesting to see who gets the edge there early in the game in the first quarter. I think Penn State might be able to manage staying in this game in the first quarter, maybe the first half, but I do see the Buckeyes pulling away. I see Dobbins taking over on the ground in the second half. So I do lean Ohio State. Minus 18.5. I also like their team total over 37.5. There it is. Texas and Baylor. It's been a weird year for Texas only because, you know, they had some high-profile games early. They had the LSU game, you know, right out of the gate. Damn near won that game. Probably should have won that game in their minds. Um, You know, had the loss to Oklahoma and the rivalry. Now they dropped a couple more games, but Mm -hmm. here they go with a chance to take on Baylor, a team that just had its undefeated hopes collapse in terrible fashion. The huge lead with Oklahoma. They lose outright. How can they bounce back at home in Waco right now? Baylor laying five and a half at home to the Texas Longhorns with the total going down in a hurry. It opened at 62 now resting at 57 and a half or about there. Yeah, this is an interesting game. I mean, we saw Baylor blow that lead against Oklahoma. They had it. It's. I think I'm impressed by what I saw from Oklahoma early in that game, and that kind of shows you what they're capable of as a team. We know that they're strong on the defensive secondary front. I mean, they, they definitely defend the pass well. Sam Etlinger has not been... You know, the guy we expected this season, and Texas in general isn't the team we expected this season after last season ending with a bang against Georgia and Sam saying, we're back. (laughs) I I don't think that aged too well, Judah. So (laughs) as much as I like Tom Herman as a dog, and we all know, I think everyone now who's been following, you know, the industry for a while and has been paying attention to Texas football, they know Tom Herman's history as an underdog. 
He's 15-4 and four against the spread as a dog since 2015. But the question is, have the books caught up to this? And, you know, you'd like to think probably. I mean, it's you know, they know that this guy's been killing it against the number. So does that come into play when they set the number in this game? I, I would think so. Uh, and that's why I kind of look at this game, and I think a lot of people are going to want to grab the points with Texas. Right. I've done a lot better at laying the points this season, Judah, overall just – you know, taking favorites. I've covered a lot more games taking favorites, even though it's so juicy to want to take a dog. But I always say, don't take an underdog with uh, with the points unless you really think they can win the game outright. And I'm not going to say Texas can't win this game outright, um, but I'm definitely looking at Baylor in this game. Matt Rule, he's 0-2 against Texas, right, so far at his, in his time at Baylor. And Texas has has won the last four in a row in the series. So we know Baylor wants to win this game. This is big for them. Texas is going to be without, or I guess, I mean, Colin Johnson, he's been dealing with a, a lingering hamstring injury since that LSU game. Mm. Um, his status is a little bit uncertain right now, but we know how big Colin Johnson is, uh, literally and metaphorically. I mean, the guy is 6'6". He's a huge target for Sam Etlinger uh, in that offense. Texas... Their Big 12 uh, title hopes ended in that uh, Iowa State loss. So now you got to think, you know, I mean, how up are they for this game? Baylor, we we know they want to bounce back. Baylor just needs one win of their last two to get a rematch with Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. That last game is going to be against Kansas. So you could say it's a nice little insurance policy for them if they don't get it done against Texas. So that does worry me a little bit there. But the eye test... Texas just not has not been impressive to me all season, while Baylor has played above expectations. So with the eye test, I do like Baylor. This is the fourth road game for Texas, only the fourth road game, which is kind of crazy. It's been a long season. Wow. And in those three road games that Texas has played so far this season, Sam Etlinger, 51.2% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, five picks. It's not that great. Uh, He's completing high 60% completion to low 70% completion in his home games. So he's a different guy when he's on the road. And again, I mentioned this Baylor defense strength is in their secondary. So it could be a tall task. Now, on the defensive side for Texas, their defense has been getting healthier and they've been improving. They've held, held Kansas State to 24 points. They held Iowa State to 23 And prior to that, they allowed 30-plus points in six of their games this season. So that is good news for Texas. Um, Texas, in their last two games, the total has gone under by 13-plus points. So what I'm seeing here is Texas defense is improving. We know Baylor's secondary is very good and should be able to limit Sam Etlinger from having a big game, and he hasn't so far on the road. Uh, a couple more trends for the under, and I think you can tell, Judah, where I'm leaning here. The under is 24-11 and 11 in Texas Big 12 games since Tom Herman arrived. Wow. The under is 11-6 in Texas road games, and it's 15-10 and 10 in Baylor conference games under Matt Rule. So, I look at the total. It opened at 62. Now it's down to 58.5. I think I still like it. I kind of like buying a point of 59 and a half. The reason being is because then you have a situation where it's eight touchdowns and a field goal get to 59, and you're still going to cover by a half a point. So I think that point matters. Look at you. Uh, this, is what, this is what separates 
<laughs> the wheat from the chaff. Exactly. You got to pay attention to the numbers, people. Honestly, like numbers do matter. There are key numbers in football. You have to look at it like, okay, how many touchdowns, how many field goals. So I just like 59 and a half a little bit better if you can buy up to that. But I do like the under in this game. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like Texas in the first half, three and a half. I just think there's some value there. But my best play is under 58 and a half. Play the under. And another big 12 matchup, Oklahoma and TCU. The Sooners at home after barely pulling out that road win at Baylor last week. Now they're coming back home. Line opened favoring Oklahoma by 19 against Gary Patterson. Now it's down just a smidge to about 18 in most books. And the total at 65 and a half. Oklahoma, no, we talked about the Big 12 most likely on the outside end of the college football playoff picture. But if there was any team to give itself an argument still, it would be the Oklahoma Sooners particularly if they win in dominant fashion the rest of the way. Are they able to? Well, it would have to start this weekend. What do you see with the Horned Frogs and the Sooners? Yeah, I agree. I think the Big 12 is out of it. Oklahoma is the only team that's kind of still in the conversation, and a lot would have to happen ahead of them, a lot of chaos in order for them to, in order for the path to be cleared for them to get into that fourth spot. But I just don't see it. You know Oklahoma is going to be trying to run up the score. You know they're going to be look trying to look as impressive as possible to the committee. But at the end of the day, you beat Baylor if you win this game, and then if you go on and you play Baylor again, it's not like beating Baylor for the second time in the Big 12 title is going to be enough or as impressive to jump ahead of a, a Pac-12 champion in Oregon or Utah who's going to be playing a top-10 opponent in their conference championship game. So long story short, I do think that the Big 12 is done unless crazy chaos occurs. In this matchup specifically, Oklahoma's won five in a row in the series. They've won eight of the last nine. The last time TCU won in Norman was, you have to go all the way back to 2005. So it's been a while. The spread's pretty big. I don't expect TCU to, to win this game. It would be a pretty big upset if they did. Now, what I'm looking at here, Judah, is I'm looking at this over because we thought Oklahoma had a defense, right? We thought we thought they found their defense finally, and it looked like they did, but maybe not because they've allowed 40 points per game in their last three contests. And TCU, on the other hand, is averaging 30 points per game in conference play so far this season. Both teams on the season are 7-2 and two to the over. And Lincoln Riley, since he took over at Oklahoma, the over is 24 and 13. Uh, the over is also 18 and 9 in Oklahoma conference games and 14 and 3 in Oklahoma home games. So those are pretty significant numbers that hint at taking the over in this matchup. Both teams, they do have. One of the better rushing offenses in the nation, Oklahoma averaging 247 yards per game, but most of that is Jalen Hurts. I mean, the guy nearly has 1,000 yards rushing by himself and 15 touchdowns on the ground. I mean, Jalen, people are calling Lamar Jackson a running back until this year. I mean, Jalen Hurts, I mean, he is really a running quarterback. Hmm. I mean, this guy, if, I mean, not to get this conversation going right now, but if this guy is going to go to the NFL and see some success, he's going to have to definitely focus a little bit more on getting the ball, uh, you know, playing in the pocket a little bit more. I mean, use your legs, but at the end of the day, this guy can tear you apart on the ground. He's done it all year round, and TCU is going to have to stop him. TCU's rushing offense, 216 yards per game. They have a 57-43 to 
run to pass ratio for both of these teams. So these teams like to run the ball a little bit more than they do pass the ball, which does kind of give me some worry about the over. But I think both of these offenses, especially Oklahoma, as we know, with C.D. Lamb and all those guys, they're so explosive. And, I mean, they can just put up 21 points in a quarter. They can create turnovers. So I do like the over in this game. The over... um, The under, on the other hand, though, Judah, the the interesting thing is the under has hit seven of the last ten times between these two, but I'm just going to go ahead and ignore that. (laughs) Um, TCU TCU is one in three in conference games this season. They've lost four of their last six. Um, They actually broke their two-game losing streak in that 33-31 win over Texas Tech in their last game. Uh, But overall, they've been disappointing, and I think that this game, we're going to see Oklahoma just going extremely hard offensively to try to run up the score, and I think TCU is going to be able to keep up a little bit, and I think that this this game ultimately paces over the total of 65, so that's going to be my best play for this game. There it is, and before we get to the NFL conversation, we like to reset the college football playoff as well. One through four remains the same, really one through six Remains the same from last week with uh, number one being LSU, Ohio State, then Clemson, then Georgia at four. Alabama, five. Oregon, six. Uh, Utah, seven. So nothing much has changed except I think the arguments being crystallized a little bit further. You have the entry to Tua Tungle-Vailoa out for the season. We told you about it a couple weeks ago and again last week. It's time to be comparing Oregon to Alabama. I don't know why people didn't want to hear it then. But they're starting to, you have to get familiar with it and embrace it now. Mm -hmm. Because even though if you line these two teams up on the same side, and it's definitely different with uh, Mac Jones, right? Mac Jones, then with Tua. But I still think Alabama's favored by probably a touchdown Mm -hmm. on a neutral side against Oregon Mm -hmm. with Mac Jones. Yeah. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Touchdown, Bama? Yeah, yeah. Touchdown to maybe eight, nine points, something like that. Yeah. Um, But it's just because of just the talent they have overall on their roster. And it's still just a more talented roster than Oregon. Oregon with Cristobal, the goal is to get there, though. Cristobal wants to get to that level of... Um, you know, competition. They want to get to that level of talent. So, you know, that's maybe to come in the years for Oregon. But right now, Alabama, definitely like a touchdown at least favorite, even with Mac Jones. That being said, where is the consequence for playing the weak-ass schedule? Where is the consequence for playing the cupcake the weekend before Thanksgiving? Yes. It has to come. Yes. And at the end of the day, if Oregon does win out, we keep hammering this. They would have won 10 conference games. Alabama would have won seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it, yeah. <laughs> They're a conference champ that mm-hmm. played two extra games and won all of them, while Alabama played two fewer and lost one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. At the end of the day, that's the team that goes to the college football playoff to say nothing of the uh, you know Tua injury. Now, you agree with that, obviously, but we both also recognize if Georgia wins out and beats LSU in the SEC championship, that is surefire going to kick Oregon outside the top four and just be a really, really good Rose Bowl team, correct? Yes. If if Georgia wins out, that that secures all four spots in the playoff. As long as the other the three undefeated teams do their thing, um, well, except for LSU, of course, in that game. Right. So if LSU loses to Georgia, I believe, yes, we're going to see LSU and Georgia in there, and then Ohio State and Clemson, as long as they remain undefeated, that will be the playoff. And so that is why, you know, I've been saying for a while now that Georgia's the team that Oregon fans need to worry about. We need to compare ourselves to Alabama right now, 
But I think we win that battle. I really do think we win that battle. So literally my only concern right now is if Georgia wins out. And if Texas A&M takes them down this weekend, great. That's that's great. I would love to see it early. Let's get it done with, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you mentioned it. Alabama is not going to play as many conference games as Oregon. Oregon is going to ultimately t- play 10 conference games. And on top of being division champs and potential conference champs, they're going to beat a top 10 team in the conference championship. And, you know, I know people are talking about Alabama and Auburn. And, oh, what if Alabama just destroys Auburn and wins by 21 or 30 or whatever it is? I just still... I don't know. Alabama would have to have the thing is Alabama would have to have as an impressive a victory as Ohio State did against Wisconsin that year uh, when they beat them 59 to nothing. And that really impressed the committee. And so like Alabama would have to have that kind of performance to even to even have the committee be like, ah, you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know if we should put Oregon over Alabama or Alabama looks just as dominant with Mac Jones. And they have to be very, very clear and certain that Alabama is by far, without a doubt, a top four team in the country. And I just don't see that the way it plays out right now. One thing we got to talk about as well are these comments of Paul Feinbaum mm-hmm. about the college football playoff committee chair and Oregon athletic director Rob Mullins. Feinbaum said on his radio show, because here's what's here's what he is doing. He is trying to get ahead of the same narrative from an Alabama side that right. we are on of an course. Oregon side. He's getting ahead of the game here. Mm-hmm. So he is calling Rob Mullins' credibility into question, saying, oh, quote, I frankly don't know if I trust this guy being in charge. I don't trust him because he's not honest, and I just think he has an influence on that committee. Maybe I should save my powder if Oregon gets in, but then it's going to be too late. Close quote. One, I don't know what kind of evidence that he has that Rob Mullins is not honest. A playoff committee chair who has to recuse himself when the Oregon Ducks are being talked about by Mm -hmm. the committee. But I know he's playing chess here, Feinbaum is. Right. He's doing the same thing we're doing. Yeah. He's just trying to get it because the guy is basically paid by the SEC. I mean, You know, this is his job is to try to get two teams into the playoff by pushing his his narrative onto the selection committee. He's just getting ahead of it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. He's wrong here Mm -hmm. and he's a blowhard Mm -hmm. and a liar. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that's not (laughs) telling the truth. And he's the one that's not being honest. But you have to understand that's what he's doing. He's playing a bigger game here, trying to push the narrative that Alabama is the better team than Oregon and therefore should get into the top four if they win the rest of their mm-hmm. games. He is wrong. Mm-hmm. But how do you see this? Is He has this bigger strategy in mind making these comments. Yeah, I mean, he he has an SEC show, basically, right? I mean, he always it talks. Is. It's he, on the SEC network. Yeah, it's on the SEC network. I mean, let's be real. We know what this guy is doing. He, you said it. He's creating this narrative. And everything that he's saying about Rob Mullins is just speculation to him. I mean, of course, this is, again, just drawing attention from the SEC fan base. It's getting clicks. It's getting people riled up. It's getting people talking. Hey, good for him. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you got to say some stuff like that to get people to pay attention. And you know what? To his credit, cool. But at the end of the day, like you were saying, I mean, he's wrong about it. Uh, Rob Mullins, you said he does not involve himself in those conversations when they discuss Oregon. And it's not the first time that we've had, you know, someone on the committee that has ties to a specific program. Like, it's happened in the past. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, Paul Feinbaum, I mean, this guy, he's he's not high up on my list, Judah. No. <laughs> 
of uh, guys that uh, I guess I would respect in the sports media field. But, I mean, he's a guy that's been in the industry for a long time. He's talked to SEC. And, again, I don't blame him for his bias because that's all he really knows. So, um, at the end of the day, it's going to play out how it's going to play out. But I really do believe that the committee has a certain uh, way they go about it, sort of a structure, a formula, right? And, it, you know, they have to value a team that wins their division and conference champion and has a better strength of schedule and is going to beat a top 10 team in their final game of the season while Alabama is playing Western Carolina this weekend. I'm sorry. He also said the week before, mm-hmm. quote, please don't misunderstand me. I know him and I like him. <laughs> Feinbaum said about Mullins. I'm just saying it puts the committee in the crosshairs, though. I'm a big believer in transparency. Bull crap. Mm. And I'm not sure what we're going to get in if he's sitting outside having a soft drink. <laughs> this is, uh, it's is, not like, it's I mean, not, he's just going way outside the line. No, but it's, it, clicks. it's not like the committee is sitting in there like, oh my God, guys, I'm so scared. Rob Mullins is out there. Do we need to make sure that we talk good about Oregon and get him in? Because Rob Mullins, like, he no, might, no one cares. Uh, like, dude, yeah. No just, one cares. Everybody's no. being transparent. He's just making a big deal about nothing so that he can get more attention Mm -hmm. and be on the good side of the SEC to try to get two teams in there. Yeah, That's what he's doing. Absolutely. He's saying if Georgia loses to LSU, I got to be pumping up Bama. My way to do that is to say Rob Mullins, who I know and I like him on November 15th to say a week later, Mm -hmm. he's dishonest and I don't (laughs) trust him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Here we go. It's already week 12 in the NFL season. Wow. They say the NFL season start doesn't start till after Thanksgiving, and we are almost there. In fact, we're going to have to record early next week. Oh, yeah. Man. That's right. We are going to have to do that. Got big games. Turkey Day coming up. Turkey Day. Going to be delicious. All right. Three best bets. Um, You know, <laughs> once again, you got the tee box, my friend, because I'm not taking you down anytime <laughs> soon. That, that theme's continued. Uh, where do you go for your first one? A lot of different and kind of intriguing lines on the board. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is an interesting weekend. I mean, every weekend's interesting. Now, I, a couple, I have two picks here and both, the, well, I have three picks, but two of these three picks have to do with sort of the same scenario, and that is a West Coast team traveling cross-country to the East Coast. And so and winning of, outright. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think we know who we're talking about here. So the Seattle Seahawks are traveling across country to play the Philadelphia Eagles, who are coming off that game uh, against the New England Patriots, in which the Patriots offense sputtered and Tom Brady was very upset about it. And, you know, he's looking to improve and. Uh, but I, you know, I think the Eagles' defense is where I'm most impressed. They've they've definitely improved since the beginning of the season. It was looking like Swiss cheese earlier in the season, and now they're pretty respectable. Uh, you know, holding Tom Brady to no touchdowns and just like over 200 yards. But again, I don't know. Sometimes maybe Tom Brady has those games where he just literally doesn't try. You know, he's like almost. Uh, it's almost like load management in the game. You know, <laughs> so who knows? But Seahawks traveling cross country. Clowney, Jadavian Clowney is battling a hip and knee injury. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Luke Wilson, a hamstring injury. Tyler Lockett's been limited to practice with a shin injury. Linebacker K.J. Wright dealing with a shoulder injury. He's been limited. So the Seahawks are banged up. You know, they have some uh, they have some injuries, but it is Russell Wilson who is the, the MVP front runner right now, and he has been spectacular. 
Um, and you know, I, I, the Eagles are banged up too. Uh, let me let's look at it. Lane Johnson. He's got he's on concussion protocol. Jordan Howard is banged up. They just signed Jay Ajayi though, so we'll hmm. see. I hear he's going to be very involved in this game. So fantasy owners, if you're really desperate for running back and he's still out there on waivers, go ahead and pick this guy up. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, he's got an ankle injury. So I guess both teams are battling injuries, but this is a pick 'em, I believe, right now. And the Eagles are at home. Their defense has been improving. I just don't like the spot for a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast like this. The game isn't as meaningful either when it's, you know, when you're playing, uh, you know, a team out of your division versus in your division, clearly. Um, and I think the Seahawks, you know, have uh, bigger things on their mind in terms of the division and, and making sure they take care of business there. Uh, so I, I guess, Judah, I got to go. I got to go with the Eagles here. I'm going to I think the Eagles know the importance of stealing a win here because so far they're what, five and five on the year. Um, they have a favorable schedule coming up where they're playing, you know, the likes of the, the Giants, the Redskins, the Dolphins, you know, some games that they really should take care of business. And if they win this game against the Seahawks, they're going to be favorites in four of their five remaining games after that, which means they still have a very good shot at getting to 10 wins, making the playoffs, making some noise. So I'm going to go with the Eagles' money line against the Seahawks. Money line. All right, there it is uh, against Seattle. All right, I'll just go to the Monday night game and just try to – I got I to gotta play this team. I got to play the home dog on a Monday night. Got to do it. Yeah. That's Rams getting three at home against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. No, not thrilled about betting against Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. We all see how he's playing. Um, prime time hasn't affected him either. We saw what he did on a Sunday night at home against New England. But, you know, this is, you know, East Coast team coming West. Who the hell cares? That doesn't normally yeah. play a, a bigger deal uh, with the time change, especially on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Not cared about that. But the Rams are desperate. They mm-hmm. need something, and they need positive uh, results in a hurry. I'm going to trust Greg Wally, or uh, Wade Phillips to get it done in this game, constructing a good enough scheme to slow down the run game of Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram and company, force him to throw the ball in the air and try to make some plays on it. That way, Jalen Ramsey maybe makes a play or two for the Rams. That's going to happen. And ultimately, the Baltimore defense that has played so well since acquiring Marcus Peters, and this is a Marcus Peters, you know, oh yeah, mm-hmm. against his former team. So. Right. They played so well since getting Marcus Peters. So that will be the challenge for the Rams offense. That has not been good this year, let's mm-hmm, be honest. Mm-hmm. But I think when they need it most, I think this is a spot where they need it most. They find a way to get it done. I'll go I'll go Rams outright in this game. Oh, let's go. No plus three in uh, money line. I agree with you, though, on that pick because I think, you know, the Ravens have looked so dominant. Um, and when you look at it on paper, if you've been watching these games, the Rams have not looked that great. And you would probably think that this would be a bigger spread than it is, especially the way Lamar has been playing. So I think that the smart play definitely is the Rams there. I was looking at that game too, Judah. I'm going to go with, uh, for my second pick here, another team that is on the East Coast staying at home while they get a nice West Coast team coming into their home stadium, and that's the New York Jets getting three points here against the Oakland Raiders. And, you know, I think I think there's going to be points in this game, uh, and I think Sam Darnold is going to be successful as he has been the last two games. Uh, I'm actually going to start him in fantasy this weekend, Judah. Oh, interesting move. 
And it's crazy because I'm actually going to start him and I'm going to bench Aaron Rodgers against the Niners, D. Well, so, you know, you're kind of... You know, I mean, you know... There's an emotional play there. Yeah, yeah, there is an emotional play there. You're right. But the Niners, D, is good. You know, you know how good they are. Yeah. So... I just think I like Darnold to remain hot in this game. I think the Jets' defense has been, uh, you know, stepping up pretty impressive. Jamal Adams is just an animal. That guy's a man-child. So I think he makes some plays in this game. And I think the Raiders just struggle. Again, I just think it's a really tough spot for Oakland traveling across the country uh, to play the Jets here. The Jets have been playing a lot better. So I'm going to take the points with the Jets here, plus three. You know, for my second one, it's crazy how – uh, the season's turned for Atlanta after starting one and seven and then getting two huge road wins as underdogs at New Orleans and at Carolina. Now they come home. I guess it would be an ironic twist of fate if they stumbled at home against Tampa Bay, you know, the lesser of the three division opponent opponents that they're playing consecutively here after winning two outright on the road convincingly. But I'll go with it. I like Dan Quinn. I think they've really turned the tide here and uh, they'll get it done here. Atlanta laying four at home against Tampa Bay. There will be a pick six of Jameis Winston. Falcons lay in the four and cover. <laughs> There's always a pick six of Jameis Winston. Let's be real. He's slipping on <laughs> banana peels still. <laughs> Ever since that Oregon Ever Rose since, Bowl. yeah, the Tony Washington moment. That was so funny. Oh, man. You were there. I was there. I was there. I was there. And you all, put the banana peel on the field, actually. Oh, my God. It was so funny. Just all the memes of that banana peel and then the, the ref uh, sliding <laughs> and falling as well. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. An incredible moment. Yeah. So uh, my final pick here, Judah. I, I've i been kind of battling between a few picks here, but I think I'm going to go with my boys. I'm going to go with the 49ers at home here, laying three uh, in primetime on Sunday night football. And I believe that the 49ers defense will be looking like the Niners defense we saw earlier in the season. And here's why, because the Niners have struggled against mobile quarterbacks. Russell Wilson gave them fits. Kyler Murray has really given him some fits, too. I mean, it's tough to defend guys like that in the NFL these days. And the 49ers are the type of defense, that D-line, where they love to just pin their ears back, dial up some blitzes, you know, get in the face of quarterbacks that like to stay in the pocket. Aaron Rodgers, you know Aaron Rodgers likes to make plays, and he can extend plays, but he's not a Russell Wilson, and he's not a Kyler Murray, definitely not a Lamar Jackson. And when the Niners play Lamar Jackson, I'll probably be siding with the Ravens in that one. But it is Aaron Rodgers, and they're on the road, and I think so many people are going to want to take Rodgers in prime time here getting points. And I just think the Niners take care of business here at home. It's a statement win, and I think that this defense can do enough to limit that offense of Green Bay and get the job done and cover the three. My last play, I'll just uh, go ahead and muddy this sucker up and play the under on Giants-Bears in Chicago. Play the under. Uh, it's, uh, you know, super low at 20 and a half, but, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 40 and a half. But, you know, I just don't see a lot of points being scored there. I mean, I would love to take Giants plus six. I wouldn't lay it with Chicago in this game. But, you know, Jones has been pretty shaky. The Bears' defense is still the Bears' defense. But between Trubisky, Daniel... Um, you know, situation they got on hand. Don't trust the Bears' offense at this point. So I'll go under 40 and a half on that. Love it, love it. Just an ugly under. Yeah, ugly mm-hmm. under, but if it cashes, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. It's it all is. in the eye of the beholder, or in this case, the better. Yes, sir. All right, Zach, we'll come back early next week and record a Thanksgiving edition pod. Mm-hmm. That'll be a lot of fun. I'll bring my turkey legs. Bring the turkey legs. We'll be talking Thanksgiving football. 
we'll also be talking Civil War. Yes, Civil War. My Let's favorite go. weekend every year is Civil mm-hmm. War weekend, especially that day. So, so be on the lookout for that, everyone, and we'll loop you in as well. Be sure to follow Zach at Zach Slegel. I'm at Jude Anubi, and we'll do more Bet the Game next week and keep cashing them tickets. Keep cashing them tickets. Go Ducks, go Beeves, and we'll see you guys next week.